0: single women or the women without partners like you can do this and I think women in particular hold themselves back in a lot of ways so I just think we're we're more capable than we think I still retired early but here was the lucky thing for me it's mostly because of real estate I mean it's not because of my 401k it's not because of my investments it's not because of compound interest it's because of my real estate
1: You're listening to The Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of The Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode 221. This is Clark here with my co-host Jace. Jace, what's going on?
1: No, oh, man, how you doing? Doing well. Nice cold January, right? Aha. I'm down in uh, Arizona, so it's it's uh it's it's beautiful here.
2: <laughs> that's where you want to be. We've had some wind chill and it's been like 1 degrees here. In Ooh. It The feels like 1 degree.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, that's well, chilly. it's chilly. Pretty cold.
2: Not as cold as skiing though. I went skiing in, in Utah over the holidays and it was night skiing actually and it felt, oh man, it was cold. Yeah, I'll bet. It was cold. So we got a listener question this week from Justin talking about real, uh, real estate LLC. So let me just read that and then we'll talk a little bit about that. He says, after reviewing how real estate could work in my portfolio, I'm realizing that leverage is a great way to improve investment returns. However, my wife and I live by the philosophy of no debt. My question is, is it possible to have your real estate portfolio held under an LLC that shields your non-real estate net worth? What do you think about that, Jace, holding real estate and LLCs and how that affects your other investments?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, just disclaimer, right? We're, we're, we're not attorneys. We are CPAs, but this isn't actual advice. But I, I think there's a couple of things to think about as he poses his question. So one, he's trying to de-risk the fact that he would potentially be taking on debt for real estate as it relates to the other assets in his portfolio. And I think there's one thing to, to consider maybe a couple of things to consider around that. But one is, you know, typically retirement accounts and a few others, HSAs, et cetera, have some protections around certain creditors, in, ter- in in terms of if something bad were to happen there's a doomsday scenario right It's underwater could the bank if he had to sell at a short sell or bankruptcy would they be able to come after some of those other assets and I don't know what his portfolio looks like but that's just something to consider the other thing is not only because of 2008 but just in general banks are are are, are smart in the sense that hey they don't want to lose their paper for these real estate assets right so de-risk for themselves, they require a down payment, right? So 10, 20, you know, FHA, three and a half percent, good credit, et cetera. There's a couple of things to consider as it relates to, you know, putting property into an LLC and the reasons for doing so in terms of your risk from a tenant. There's other things you can put in place as it relates to insurance to kind of, you know, I think there's a lot of different schools of thought, as it relates to LLCs, it is definitely harder uh, in some cases unless you start going the portfolio route to get loans than, you know, if you were to have them in your individual name. But in terms of like a protection from risk of a tenant, there's different things you can do to to make sure you're protected if you do have them in your personal name. But it, it's an interesting question and I don't know the way that, it's, that he's got it phrased. If If he's really trying, you know, I think the biggest thing he's trying to accomplish is He's worried that the debt could take down his whole portfolio, and I don't know that that should be the, the mindset of you know when you go buy a piece of property, you're going to end up putting twenty percent up, and that debt is is collateralized essentially by that that asset. You don't sign over a personal guarantee on all your other assets for that particular you know property, so to speak. Now there are terms in there in all these agreements nobody reads where, yeah, it makes it seem like, and could they, could it stand up in court that they come after you and get some? Yeah. But if you don't have a bunch of cash in the bank and, and, you know, just chose to walk away, it's, it's pretty unlikely, uh, that I think that they would be able to, you know, essentially penetrate all the, uh, other things that you may have to try to recover, you know, $50,000 or $20,000, depending on, you know, how much you're underwater.
2: Yeah. And just big picture, Justin, I think we have seen, Jace, correct me if I'm wrong here, but most of the millionaires that we've had on that have real estate do hold it in a separate LLC. That's what we've seen. And at least on one side, it's nice just to kind of have that kept as a separate entity in a separate business, you know, in quotation marks business, but just in separate holding. So I think you're spot on there with your answer though, Jace. So just as a, as a quick recap from last week, we had Mike. He's 41 years old and is a police officer. I think just the second police officer we've had on our show. He has three kids, net worth of 1.5, which doesn't include his six uh, his 60K pension. That'll be coming up here in the next few years when he ha- hits, I think, what, 20 or 25 years in the police force. So he spends about 50K a year and is starting to think about the next phase of his life and what that looks like a little bit. So fun to talk with him. This week we have Melissa. She's recently retired just before she hit the age of 50, single, never married, no kids, net worth of $2 million. So we discuss her story, her journey and career as a single female and, and her corporate career using real estate and other investments to put her in a, in a position to retire before 50. So she's obviously done phenomenally well. Congrats to Melissa and we're grateful that that she was willing to come on the show uh, if you'd like to ask a question to the millionaire, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, or go to our website, millionairesunveiled.com, hit Ask a Millionaire, and you can record via SpeakPipe or submit a question just written in there. Just wanted to read a review that we got on iTunes here uh, last month over, over the holiday break from, from Jack Bertini. It says, Fantastic podcast. I stumbled upon this podcast when I was trying to find the millionaire theme hour of The Dave Ramsey Show. After finding it, I've now listened to about 30 episodes over the past couple of weeks. All I can say is that this show is fantastic. They provide so much context for building wealth and different people's paths. It's fascinating hearing all the different stories of people, different strategies, excuse me, people employ to become financially independent. Keep up the great work, guys. I can't wait to get through the rest of the episodes. So thanks to Jack. If you enjoy the show, we appreciate you leaving a five-star review, iTunes or Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to, it helps us grow the show. And- and reach out and get new millionaire interviewee guests.
3: So without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode with Melissa. Melissa, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now?
0: Sure. Yeah, I am recently retired about, oh, just about a month ago now. Just shy of my 50th birthday, been professional, uh, executive level, and decided to try to uh, retire early. Originally, thought it would be in my early 60s, but managed to hit it uh, before 50, mostly through real estate. Um, Yeah, and just trying to figure out what's next. Uh, Never married, no kids, doing it on my own, and um, yeah, excited to kind of share my story with you guys over the next little bit.
3: Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, retired at 50. Man, that is, 49. That is 49, 49, just just shy of your 50th. <laughs> we won't age you. Yeah. <laughs> so going back, before we get into your allocation here, was it more of the number or was it the age or what kind of drove you to pick right now as the time to do it?
0: I think honestly, it was, I mean, when I started out thinking about this, it was just, lack of context, first of all, I mean, you know, we can talk about it later. But I, I met with a, you know, a fee based financial advisor, just kind of, you know, hiding under my desk saying, okay, tell me the bad news, am I gonna have to work till I die, just not even knowing. And he was like, No, um, you know, maybe we're looking at early 60s. And from there, it was a little bit of being self competitive for lack of anything better, we're like, well, okay, so maybe I can crack 60. And over time it was just kind of accelerating it and thinking okay maybe I won't want to leave work earlier but I want the possibility and so year after year it just sort of accelerated from there and then um yeah it just all of a sudden was like okay I could I could do it and at that point it coincided with you know work being crazy and and seeing you know wanting to travel well bad timing with covid but <laughs> wanting to travel, wanting to explore what's next for me, wanting some new to explore interests and and just deciding to go ahead and take the leap. Yeah. So for me, it was more about what was possible, thinking it wasn't possible, but realizing it was being self-competitive, driving that number down and um, and then just deciding to kind of, you know, sail off the edge of the earth and see what's next in a way.
3: How many years ago did you decide this?
0: So I first went to this financial planner Um, in 2012, actually. So it was just over eight years ago. And, you know, again, had this conversation and uh, was really pleasantly surprised that he even thought it was going to be the early 60s. And back then, and we can talk about that, I was just starting to, you know, really enjoy real estate a little bit, but not, I was an accidental landlord at the time, but hadn't really jumped too much into real estate. And, and then things started to escalate. And then in 2018 is when things kind of hit high gear. I learned about the FIRE movement, so financial independence, retire early, and then the pieces just really clicked and kind of scrambled right to the finish line. In the last two years, things really accelerated at that point.
3: Okay, so what is your net worth then today?
0: So today I am just under two million net worth. It's I'm eleven thousand short of two million. <laughs> One Nine eight eight as of the last month. Last time I checked,
3: depends on how the properties are valued, right? Could be, could be over. Exactly. So uh, let's break that down a little bit. Two million. Let's just call it rounding and up two million. How is that broken up?
0: Sure. So it's just under sixty percent real estate. So if you want to get precise, it's about fifty eight percent real estate. So that's just about one point one five million in equity. Um, And so you know, I can kind of drill even further. I own. Five properties. Um, two of those are my "quote unquote" homes. Um, so I have a my primary residence is a condo that's paid off, Florida, and then I have a second residence, second home, which is also a condo in uh, the North Shore of the Boston area, which is also paid off. Both of those I I use as short term rentals actually when I'm not in either location. So those provide some income. Um, both of those are paid off. Those between them are about half a million, five hundred thirty thousand. Then I have three rentals. All three of them are multifamilies. So one of them is a triplex in the Boston area. That one's worth about $760,000. That is mortgaged, uh, about 46% equity. And then I, the last two rentals I got are in New Hampshire. Um, they're both fourplexes, and they're each worth about 380000 And those are mortgaged as well with about 37% equity each.
3: So you get this real estate. And then do you have some kept in cash as well yep. on the side for these, and how much is that approximately?
0: yeah, so this this would be controversial to other quote unquote real estate uh, um investors. so so, as I said, I've got about fifty eight percent of my worth is in real estate. I have quite a bit in cash, so about thirteen and a half percent, so two hundred and seventy thousand dollars are sitting in. Well, the, we would call them high yield savings accounts. It's not so high yield these days, but is basically in cash sitting in various savings accounts. And the reason for that is basically, you know, I am not working a W 2 job anymore. I'm quote unquote retired. So I have a bunch of capital expenditures I'll probably need to um, have over the next, you know, say, I would say five to seven years, uh, potential roofs or kitchens to renovate or, you know, uh, heaters and boilers to go. And so I want to make sure that I'm not risking that. So I have quite a heavy cash position. Um, so again, a lot of people would be like, oh my gosh, you're not earning anything on that. But I just believe anything that you're going to need in the next five to seven years. Uh, for me personally, I don't want to risk that. So I keep that in cash. Um, so I have that in cash. And then the balance. So I've got 24 percent that's in my 401k, so that's about 480 thousand, and I can talk about the breakdown of that. And then the balance is just like three and a half percent is in a post-tax Vanguard index fund, and the 401k and the index fund account they're pretty heavily into stocks, uh, very little in bonds, and that's primarily because I'm such a I mean I have so much cash. Um, so my age, I'm fifty. Um, I think I've got about maybe twenty percent bond. Um, I don't have a ton in the bonds because I do have a lot of cash,
2: wow, interesting. So, Melissa, you're on top of this stuff?
0: Well, I've been, especially the last two years, crunching, recrunching, triple crunching my numbers <laughs> just to make sure I could take the leap and thinking, rethinking, um diving into a lot of podcasts. And you know, again, I think, you know, a lot of people could question my mix. But for me, I think with my risk tolerance, yeah, it works. Um, Yeah,
2: no, I I mean, that totally complimentary. I mean, when Jason was asking you about that real estate, you were spitting off those LTV ratios (laughs) like nobody we've had on this show. So way to go. I mean, that's awesome. So just real quick, I mean, I think we've had big picture on the portfolio allocation. But in the 401k retirement accounts, you have about, I think, close to 500, right, 480-ish. Yeah. How much is that index funds, mutual funds, single stocks? What's there? And then maybe we'll roll into your story a little bit in in the real estate.
0: Yeah. So the 401k, so this is actually, I'm about to hopefully roll this. So this has been, as I said, I just retired about a month ago. So this has been in the company I work for, uh, Fidelity 401k offering. And their offering is fairly limited. So they're um, in Fidelity, a lot of, um, they're not single stocks, they're sort of mutual funds Um, they're, yeah, domestic, uh, 60% domestic, 20% international. So mostly large and mid cap. I don't, to be honest guys, and this is where, you know, you guys have been really impressed with my real estate side. The stock topic kind of makes my eyes roll back in my head a little bit, which is why I went the real estate route. So this is where my financial advisor helped. He would look at what my company offered and would make some recommendations. It's done fairly well. Um, but I'm not, it's not where my interest lies. So, you know, it is about, again, 80% stock mix. Um, and yeah, large to mid cap, mostly, and then 20% bond mix. So it's like, it, I don't think they're, they're They don't really have a lot of the index fund options for my company. They don't have yeah. those offerings. So I'm probably going to roll it all over to Vanguard, where I understand it a little bit more since I've done that work myself with the post tax account. And I'll do the whole. Yeah, I got you. That's what I was going to ask you if you
2: were
0: going to roll it out of the 401k into
2: an
0: IRA. Yep, I'm going to do do it into the like you know my own money. I've put into um, you know VTSAX. Um, I've got a little bit in sort of a target, uh, a little bit into the target retirement account, just because that's the Vanguard I have a little bit. That's a little bit more of my capex next egg. That's kind of the seven to ten year target. Um, then I've got VT IAX, which is that broad market international. But yeah, I understand those a little bit more, and I can do better research. But I'm probably going to just roll the 401k um, directly into into Vanguard, so I can do my work, and I don't have two places I have to look into.
2: Yeah. So the five hundred thousand in retirement, this 401k money that you're mm-hmm. going to roll, is that in Roth or after tax money? I mean, or pre tax money? What's is it Roth or traditional? Okay.
0: 401k or the Vanguard money that I already have?
2: Uh both. What's your take on or so the,
0: the split there? Yeah, the 401k was is pre-tax, so I'm going to do one of those like direct, I forget what they call, but it's like a direct rollover to a I think it's going to be a tr- direct rollover they call it or something like that to a trad IRA. Mhm. Just you know, so it, it kind of goes directly over, so I don't get hit with any penalties or anything. So that's what I'll do there. And then the other, the it's about sixty five thousand that I've done in post tax money, um, which is separate. Um, so that is just literally um, that started out because when I I've worked overseas when I was working in London, I didn't have an opportunity to invest in my four hundred one k. It's actually why my four hundred one k from my age is, I think, a little lower than I would like to see. I actually worked overseas for. Six to seven of my highest earning years, um, so I was working in a place where i couldn't I couldn't contribute to a four oh one k uh so the last couple of years, I would just kind of throw money into um post tax index funds with Vanguard,
2: yeah, thanks for sharing, and so let me just keep going on this four o one k piece a little bit, and I know we're jumping yep. around here, so apologies, but in the notes you shared with us before the show you you mentioned that you didn't you feel like you didn't really start pushing on your four oh one k as early maybe as you should have. Yes. So I'm just I'm just curious to get your take there, and I yep. mean, if if you consider it a mistake, I don't know, or the advice you give in in terms of the 401k.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question. It is. It's sort of one of the one of my big regrets. So growing up, I would say. So I grew up single mom, you know, we did not have a lot of money. We were, you know, definitely scrambling, and we never talked about money other than, you know, we didn't have a lot. So didn't have a lot of guidance and personal finance. We just didn't, you know, we just didn't know much. And so when I started working, you know, of course, at work they would talk about enrolling in your 401k, and I knew it was a quote unquote good thing to do. Um, but I didn't do it for a while, and then, in my twenties my mid twenties i I did, but I you know certainly wasn't maxing out, wasn't anywhere close, and it wasn't until my later twenties I would say that I started investing more, but I never maxed it for quite a long time, I would say until you know I hit my i would say my late thirties forties even and then, as I said, basically um as I was hitting my thirties, I was pulled out of the u s employment market, and I was working in Europe, and I couldn't invest in my 401k. So, you know, I think during those years, when compound interest was going to be my friend, I mean, I never heard the terms compound interest in my 20s. Like, I never even heard any of this. So it is a big regret for me. And, you know, I certainly, you know, when I see on these kind of you know, financial independence, you know, Facebook groups and stuff when people are like, hey, you know, what would you say to people in their 20s? What would you say to people in their 30s? It's the number one thing I say, you know, you know, push money into these pre-tax, pre-tax accounts, your 401k, because first of all, the, the impact that you feel is so much less because, you know, once you get it post-tax, it doesn't, that thousand dollars doesn't feel like a thousand dollars post tax and that compound interest over time. It just, it's, it's just amazing what it does. And I didn't understand that until just a few years ago. So already talking with my nephews, my 11 and 13 year old nephews are already investing. We've been doing <laughs> compound interest lessons. Uh, interesting to try to explain that to an, to a 10 year old on what compound interest is, but we've done it and they've uh, <laughs> we've opened little, uh, little accounts for them and they're already doing it. So yeah. So kind of where,
2: how did you pick it up then, Melissa? Where did you, you feel like you were, not if you got, caught it late or learned it late, how did you learn it? Where did it come from?
0: Um, I had an uncle who is just very, um, very disciplined. My aunt married a very disciplined guy. So he was the one, first of all, that was just talking about, you know, don't have credit card debt helped us, you know, helped me put a budget together, um, helped me figure out um, some of that. Um, so that was a help. Um, still wasn't really hearing about compound interest. And so it really wasn't until I mean, honestly, the whole where compound interest clicked wasn't until I really heard about the the fire movement. And, you know, by that point it was too late. I was contributing to my 401k though, because I understood I should be doing that for retirement, but I didn't really get the whole impact of why. But I was luckily earning enough that that felt like an important thing to do so i was doing it so it was And you still path. retired early? I still retired early but here was the lucky thing for me it's mostly because of real estate i mean it's not because of my 401k it's not because of my investments it's not because of compound interest it's because of my real estate and that was just a love and a and a passion so that's what's interesting for me is it has nothing to do with my 401k and has nothing to do with with investments in my story it has to do with with real estate so
2: Yeah, really interesting. And and let's jump into that right after this. I just want to go back to the one thing you mentioned that you said you grew up uh, with a single mom and you didn't really talk too much about money. How do you think that's influenced you now
0: Mm. or
2: or as you went throughout your career and now you've been on your journey? I mean, obviously amazing, right? $2 million. But how did that affect you?
0: Oh, it definitely did. I think in a few ways. I think um, there's I think the person that I am and, and the place that I am has a lot to do with that. I think the first thing is it gave me in a healthy way, I think, a bit of a scarcity mindset. I always wanted to make sure that I saved, that I, was not putting myself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position um, financially. So I was not getting into trouble. I mean, in college, like we all did, they gave us a credit card, and we made stupid choices. I bought too many gap sweaters. <laughs> so like I said, my uncle helped put me on a budget. And I got out of that right after college. But from that point, I never put myself in a bad position. So I would check and double check my numbers when I bought my first condo when I was whatever, 27 or 28. I checked and double checked and triple checked that I was not have to, you know, not going to have to, you know, eat mac and cheese that I could afford it and still save. So I always saved um, because I wanted to make sure that I was okay. And so financially, I think it put me in that mindset of saving and living beneath my means. So I think it that was one thing. Um, It also gave me a very strong, I think, work ethic. I had a job from the time I could legally work and help contribute. And I think that's really healthy. And, you know, I worry a little bit about, you know, kids that have too much now. I think it's important that kids work. In college, I had to work for my room and board. You know, I was an RA, so I could get my room and board covered. I worked throughout college. I think that's important. And so I think all of that has served me. I actually think it's a really good thing um, that I had to scrap and save. And um, I think all of that has served me really well and helped me to, to come to where I am. It also, I had to risk a little bit as well, right? Um, when you're young and you have to work and you have to, you know, kind of get out on the scary ledge a little bit, it also makes some of these risks like buying real estate, you know, you, you, you learn how to take some of that healthy risk as well. You fall on your face, but then you have to dust yourself off and pick yourself up. So you learn some self-reliance as well. So all of that, I think, is is healthy and good.
1: And now let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Wix. You know, there's so many options out there to get started, a business, a website. it's, It's really hard to know how to start, what to choose. And that's where Wix comes in. You take your business online with Wix. It's the leading website creation platform. It's got all the tools you need to create, manage, and grow your brand. Whether you're starting an online business or you've got a side hustle or you've got a business that's already flourishing, you can design a site, showcase your brand, and that'll look great on any device. You know, Clark, it reminds me, we probably should have used Wix when we started. I can't even remember what we used, but anyway, join over 200 million people already using Wix's wide range of solutions to enhance their business. Ultra smart SE tools designed to get you found on search engines, faster loading times to create outstanding user experiences which we know is extremely important. If you don't get that website loaded quickly, boom, you're bouncing. And payment solutions to help you boost your revenue. You can manage everything from one dashboard on desktop or mobile. So you can be available anywhere at any time, in the office, at home, or on the go. Want to get started? Head over to Wix.com and create your website today.
3: Yeah. So, Melissa, I want to get into the, to this real estate. When did you start getting interested in it and maybe start walking us through that first deal?
0: Yeah, sure. So, there's always been, I mean, listen, I remember the town next to where I grew up has all these beautiful Victorian houses. I mean, I remember being a teenager and looking at these beautiful Victorian houses thinking I wanted to live in one someday. So, I think I've always sort of had this bit of a love of of architecture and beautiful houses and real estate. So it's always a little bit been there. So I guess, you know, like everyone, you know, you start out somewhere and you have you have you buy your first property. I guess where I would start then from this purpose is I became a bit of an accidental landlord. Um so I mentioned I I've worked overseas. So one of those opportunities came up one day quite suddenly where I had bought a condo and was living there quite happily. And then they um, work had offered me an opportunity to move to Switzerland. And it was very sudden, it was pretty much, you know, we need you to go in the next, you know, six to eight weeks. Um, And I was like, Okay, I just bought this condo, and I'm living in this condo, what do I do? And so person I worked with was looking for a place to live. And so Next thing I knew, I was a landlord <laughs> to a person I worked with. And it kind of got me over the hump. And so now I was kind of a landlord. Um, but luckily, it was a person I knew. So it was a little less scary and had a good experience. And and it kind of got me to think, okay, here's something that I can do. And as I'm working in Switzerland, and I'm saving money, and um, the at this point, so this was 2006. And then two thousand I'm still living in Switzerland, two thousand and eight happens two thousand and nine, and the market crashes, and all of a sudden, all this actually in that town I just mentioned, I didn't even think of that this beautiful Victorian town, I come home and this beautiful house, I go to open houses all the time. This beautiful Victorian house is for sale, and I walk through and I fall in love with it. But this is silly, I live in Switzerland, and the you know prices are falling and falling and falling, so anyway, I buy this house. <laughs> um because the prices fall even though I I rent I'm renting out this my condo so I I buy this house um because the prices had fallen so much and so I continue to when I move back from Switzerland now I've got this Victorian house that I'm living in I still keep the rental and anyway that's kind of how I get started so over time this kind of gets me thinking okay so now now I have a home and I have a rental so that's basically how it started and um yeah. And so then I managed to get lucky. And that Victorian I bought was in a town that started really climbing and had fixed that house up a little bit, sold it for, you know, a bit of a nice little profit and then bought a fixer upper. And then got this in my mind, this idea of two things. One was, well, you know, with your own primary residence, you can sort of buy a house. I bought a real ugly, ugly house, the typical ugly house on a beautiful street, buy it, renovate it, live in it for two years um, to wait out the capital gains and then sell it. So I have that idea. And maybe I'll buy another duplex at the same time. So that's what I did. (laughs) I just started going from there. And this is when I was talking to my financial planner. This is when I started thinking, aha, how do I really accelerate this? So in the meantime, I sold the condo, made a little bit of money on there. So now I've got a couple of Dollars here to play for some, um, some down payments. So that Victorian that I sold gave me enough of a down payment so that I could buy this crappy fixer upper for a personal, a new house for me, because it was like, I sold my other primary residence that Victorian for like 620. I'd bought this crappy house for 400. And so I still had money then to look at with the condo being sold. To look at a duplex at the same time, so now i'm now I'm really going, so I bought a duplex as well, both in this town that's kind of now starting to rise in the market so that's that's kind of what happened I got a little I got a little greedy and excited, <laughs> but it worked
3: so really, a lot of your wealth has really been created in the last decade, right
0: Yes, yeah. yes
3: do you remember what your net worth was maybe around your your fortieth birthday?
0: Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, when we talked about doing this, I had actually asked, um, Sebastian, who's my financial planner, to just go back and look at the records just to see sort of where we were because I hadn't remembered where we were. So let's see, my financial. So when we first started in 2012, um, so that was, yeah, 10 years ago. So that's around then. Yeah. That's probably right around when I was, yeah right around when I was forty, right? Am I doing the math right? Ten years ago, yeah, my net worth was four hundred and thirty eight thousand
3: Wow, and you remember what it was at thirty?
0: Oh, I wasn't even- I didn't know even know how to calculate it at thirty. I had no idea what such a thing was. <laughs> 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 I mean, I didn't even know he was tracking it at in twenty twelve yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have even known how to calculate it at thirty
3: totally, so you've gone on this great journey now you retired before fifty. What is the, the outlook and the plan going forward here? And, and as you moved into this phase of retirement, we have a lot of people ask, you know, how to make the transition, you know, what do you look for into retirement? Because a lot of people are kind of like, you know, I probably need to retire to something so that I'm not just bored. What are, what are you doing to fill your time? What are you doing to make life still exciting without, you know, having a, a day-to-day job or, or working?
0: That's such a great question, because I think my situation is interesting in the sense that, you know, I'm not married, and I don't have kids, right? And I think those are two big, you know, focuses for people in terms of what's going to take your time. And a lot of the literature, a lot of the books out there and the podcasts and the blogs are around the money piece of it. Uh, how do you get there? How do you get there? Money piece. And my career has been incredibly fulfilling, um, is very lucky socially. Um, from a sense of self-worth, and it certainly kept me very busy. And it's interesting. I read this book. It's a bit outdated, but it w- I found it really helpful. Um, it's called something like um, how to, let's see, it's like how to retire happy, wild, and free. Really, it's about all that other stuff. It's It's like, okay, yeah, the financial stuff, there's a ton of books out there, but it's really about okay, how do you think about the social piece? You know, if your friends are working, um, how do you think about, you know, social connection and, you know, making sure that you're nurturing your friendships and having social, you know, I'm an introvert, but I'm still going to need social connection. How do you make sure that you're thinking about, you know, keeping your brain sharp and challenging yourself mentally. Um, My job was very mentally challenging. So how do you do that? How do you make sure that you're keeping busy and not just sitting around watching Netflix all day? Um, How do you make sure you're doing things that have meaning? So they help with some frameworks for that and like interest trees. And so I've got a whole notebook full of, you know, if, if an emergency break glass, you know, creative interests that I want to pursue. Um, I think intellectual interests I want to pursue, things that I've had to put on hold. So I've got a whole list of things that I want to do and I, I'm planning to pursue. I'm a month in, right? So I'm still in this weird place where I'm like, I'm still like, oh, it's the weekend, so I can. Oh, wait, I don't have to wait till the weekend to <laughs> call someone or do something. Um, so I'm still very much in adjustment mode. And I think that's pretty natural. I'm still swinging a bit on the pendulum from, you know, spending days running around like crazy, painting cabinets to another day just watching Netflix. But I'm also understanding that it's going to take time. So I'm trying to find the new normal right now, trying to find new patterns and routines. But all of those things, I think, We need to do more in our space to talk about that. I don't think there's enough being talked about. I think we have to really make sure we're retiring to something and taking care of all of those pieces, our brains, our health, our bodies, our social networks. Um, So I've tried to think through it, but I also am trying to be patient with myself that it is going to be a journey. Um, So I've got lists and lists and lists, uh, but I also know that I have to be patient and expect the unexpected. And and see what happens. But I've got also a couple little side hustle ideas and little things that I can always, you know, scale up a little bit if I'm finding that my interests in upholstering and painting cabinets isn't taking up enough time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. So as you look back, Melissa, I mean, Jace just asked about the future going forward, but as you look back now on your career, do you feel like you managed it well in terms of work-life balance? Do you feel like you would have made any adjustments there or spending more money early or spending more money later? I mean, are you pretty happy with that that split?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. So I was just speaking with actually a woman who um, we bumped into each other on one of these financial independence Facebook groups, and she worked for me about I mean, no lie, like 18 years ago. So I was with the same company for, believe it or not, 24 years. And I haven't seen her since. And we found each other on one of these sites. And we just had a a great catch up on Zoom. And um, she did a totally different path where she took kind of these little mini retirements every seven years or so. And I never knew such a thing was possible. I just sprinted and then kind of now like panting. (laughs) Didn't hit the wall, but kind of hit the wall, right? And and now I'm done at 50. And If I could have done it over, it's not about the money. I'm happy with what I did with the money, but I never knew it was a possibility to kind of take a year off and, you know, travel and take a breather. I just didn't even know such a thing existed. So, you know, I learned about this space and these things in 2018. And by that point, I was almost there. So it's like, okay, we'll just grind it out for another year or two and be done but had I known, I I just feel like that's a healthier way to go about it. I just really ran full tilt for my entire career. I don't have any regrets. I loved my career, but I, I do think it's not necessarily the healthiest way. So, you know, if I again, if I were to advise someone who is earlier on in their career, I might say, you know, think about that. You know, do you have a career where you can kind of take a pause, you know, take a few months to, you know, drive cross country and recharge a bit and then come back at it. I think people that do that are very brave and very smart. And that just wasn't my journey, but I didn't even know such a thing was possible. So I think there's a lot, I've a lot of hope for the next generation of folks doing this early retirement thing.
2: Yeah, so now in terms of spending in retirement and and what that looks like for you, I assume you're planning to draw down from the cash flow or just live off the cash flow from the real estate.
0: Correct. Yeah, so that's the plan. So I, as I'm sure you can tell with all my numbers, I sit here, and I'm a big uh, YNAB fan. So I'm like, in my YNAB app, like, <laughs> daily all the time. So I'm checking on all my accounts and watching the cash flow. I'm also looking at, you know, the places where there's still opportunity within the, the properties, you know, we still I have picked properties where there's still potential, you know, for upside, there's still some units that can be, you know, as the tenants turn over, we can still upgrade them and command more rent. Um, But in general, I'm in maintenance mode. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, caring for the nest, making sure I'm, um, I might invest some this year of like, okay, let's that that boiler is really old. So let's just go ahead and replace it now. So I'm getting more energy efficiency, and I'm not dealing with maintenance costs over time and just trying to you know, maybe invest some, you know, upfront, so I'm not getting nickel and dimed by some of these costs later on. So, but over overall, I should be able to kind of care for the nest and see the, you know, 401k grow and see the properties appreciate and and live on the cash flow of the the rental income. That's the
2: that's yeah. The hope. So two condos. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Two condos, two fourplexes, and a triplex. Is that right?
0: That's right. That's right. And in the plan, I've built in some conservative amounts. Like the the short-term rental amounts that I've budgeted on are pretty, uh, you know, I've kept it very conservative that if I just, I could definitely push to try to rent more. Um, I think I budgeted on 10 grand a year, which I can do very, very easily. So I could always do more. And I I've got a side hustle that I know I can easily do more than what I plan to do. So I've also built in a plan that I could, that's very conservative. So if I wanted to push it, I could.
2: So, how much? I mean, I assume you'll live in one of the condos and rent out the others, or you'll, as you mentioned, you'll you'll short term rental, whichever one you're not in. How much do you expect that all that real estate will cash flow to you
0: annually? So the long-term rentals, so the all the multifamilies, the three multifamilies, um, should cash flow about $55,000 a year. And then the two condos, when I'm not in one or the other, um, should bring me a minimum of $10,000. So between those is $65,000 a year. And then I've got um, just kind of a part-time gig, uh, a few hours a week, basically um, contracting with my old company. Um, That they're they've said I could do more anytime I want, but basically that should be about twenty four twenty five thousand a year. So we're looking at about yeah yeah yeah, they've been lovely and very very kind and uh, you know obviously I've worked very hard so it's not charity but it's you know they've been very very good to me so yeah
2: yeah so it's interesting when I think duplex and maybe I'm wrong here but when I think duplex I'm like okay you know two three hundred thousand dollars. But you're buying higher end. I mean, you share at yeah. least one of them, right? I mean, I'm I'm just curious because I'm looking through these notes here, and you bought one for about five twenty, right? You mentioned you put in twenty four thousand. Yeah,
0: the is yeah, it's pricey. So the triplex, the triplex I own now, um, I bought for six twenty five, right? So and it's now worth seven what seven? It depends on which site you look at. Probably would sell in the mid to high sevens. Uh, right now. Um and the rents right now are six, let's see, I should know that off the top of my head. It's basically like sixty three hundred a month in gross rents.
2: Good view. And and just you mentioned here, I, th- I think this is really interesting. You said in one case I bought a duplex for five hundred and twenty two thousand. Yep. I put twenty four thousand into it, owned yep. it for two and a half years and sold it for seven hundred and fifty one thousand, a thirty eight percent return, about two hundred thousand dollar profit. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, that was that town that I mentioned earlier that was literally skyrocketing. So that that time that I said that I bought a primary residence, of real dud, fix well, an ugly fixer-upper and a duplex at the same time, this town was literally catching fire. So both of those, that primary residence and that duplex, I was able to sell for turnaround for pretty big profits. And again, that's counterintuitive. People are like 1031 exchange, 1031 exchange. I did not ten thirty one exchange that property because it was very hard to find uh, a new property um, in the time. It's very limited time you have to. If you don't know what a ten thirty, well, you guys might, but if your audience doesn't know what a ten thirty one exchange is, that basically means it's a tax shelter. You have to within, I think it's thirty days, identify a prop a new property that's about a similar type and price property and within 90 days close on that property, roughly someone that might be wrong, but something like that. So it's very fast. You have to find and buy a new property to shelter that money. And in my mind, if I I was looking around, didn't see anything, and I didn't want to make a dumb choice and just buy something for the sake of buying something and then be stuck with this property that I'd made a fast, hasty decision. And in my mind, I mean, that's two hundred thousand dollars of profit. And yes, I had to pay twenty percent of tax on that, so forty thousand went to Uncle Sam. But I still made one hundred sixty thousand dollars. So, you know, I didn't. You know, that to me is like, you know what? I don't have a problem with that. That's that's all good in my book. So yeah, that and that was luck. Yeah,
2: and you didn't, yeah, and you mentioned in the notes that you didn't want to get into something that wasn't a very good deal just to ten thirty one it.
0: Exactly. To me, that's not smart. That's like. You know, the tail wagging the dog just to, you know, save the tax till later. I mean, you still end up paying it at the end of it someday. You know, you do pay it eventually, just not right now. Um, So it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't want to, it felt too rushed. It felt like the deals that were out there weren't deals. Um, I just rather, so I ended up just, you know, paying that tax the way it is. Sometimes you pay the tax.
2: Yeah I thought this was really funny and, and interesting. You said I jumped into my first rental property before I understood how to properly evaluate if numbers would work. <laughs> I just looked at a simplistic gross rent minus mortgage payment which clearly is not how it's done. Ugh. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, shame on me. So that's one of the mistakes. I mean, I've definitely made some mistakes in my day and I got really excited, you know, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Okay, so, you know, the the rents are going to be $3,000 and my mortgage is $2,000. That's awesome. I and mean, wasn't thinking about maintenance costs and wasn't <laughs> thinking about CapEx and wasn't thinking about vacancies. And, you know, and I didn't do my research and shame on me. That happened to be the property that I ended up making that profit on because I hit, I hit that right town. But I mean... Shame on me. I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have done that. You don't get into investing before you do all the research. Right. So, I mean, I still learned that lesson. I was embarrassed. I had my tail between my legs and it taught me to do my research. I, I you know, I happened to, you know, the, the universe was looking out for me and that I, it ended up being a good appreciation. But my, my goal isn't appreciation on this. I My goal is cash flow. My goal is retirement income. So I made a bad decision from that perspective and I just happened to get lucky so yeah I mean it's a lot of money to be spending half a million dollars uh, investment to be making uh, not all cash obviously but that's a big investment to be making without putting a lot of research into it so that's my other that's my other advice. Is- when you're investing, you know, do your research and know what you're doing and talking about. And uh, it's a little embarrassing, but I think it's important to talk about. I mean, you no, no, make mistakes. Not. I, I, yeah,
2: I appreciate you sharing. You've obviously yeah. been very successful in real estate. So not at all. Not at all. Um, let me just ask you a few rapid fire questions and then yeah. we'll we'll wrap it up here. So what's the most expensive car you've ever purchased?
0: Oh, I mean, I guess Twenty thousand. I mean, my used. I, I still bought used, but a, a Mini Cooper. My used co- Mini Cooper Countryman was probably nineteen and a half thousand. Really, okay. not a big car person.
2: Yeah, yeah. What about the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for?
0: Oh, Mykonos on the ocean. Ridiculously expensive fish dinner was probably like my portion was probably one hundred and fifty dollars, and I don't care. It was worth it. It was beautiful. <laughs>
2: Okay. What's worth the money and what's not worth the money?
0: Experiences, travel's worth the money for sure. Um, To me, gadgets, not worth the money. It's not my thing.
2: Okay. Without me asking your age, how old were you when you became a millionaire?
0: Um, Well, I've already told you my age, so no big deal there. (laughs) Um, I became a millionaire, um, luckily. Thank you, Sebastian. It was sometime, I guess, in um, 2016. So it was about.
2: So the second million came in four years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I meant. I know you used a financial advisor. Just real Mm -hmm. quick, what's what was your experience there?
0: I had a really good experience. I think what he helped me do is contextualize a lot and hold me accountable. Like not hold me accountable, but he just knowing I was going to meet with him twice a year was really helpful, and he created a framework for me. So I paid him, you know, a certain flat fee every year. We met twice a year. He helped me um, not only kind of put all these numbers together. And then when I came up with my retirement plan I put my retirement budget together on what I needed to live on and he helped me like kind of poke holes in it hey did you think about taxes you know you're gonna you know you're gonna have to pay taxes you won't have a w-2 income to be taking taxes out did you think about health care and what are you going to do for health care so he really helped me build a lot of this out so that was helpful just to have a speaking partner for that given that again I didn't really grow up thinking about a lot of this stuff so having that speaking partner for me personally I found helpful
2: great great uh, annual household spending how much do you spend a year
0: how much have i spent a year how much will i be spending a year now in retirement
2: that um, yeah it could be a big difference
0: it could be a big difference and and i think it has been i mean my spending now you know and again spending is tricky for me because i guess do you i i i would need to split out i guess what i spend on the properties right for maintenance and things like that um, yeah.
2: Well, I'm thinking, yeah, no, more just like personal well, expenses. Yeah. Travel food. Yeah.
0: Travel food. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I guess not including, yeah, we're around like 80, we're like around 80,000, I would say. Okay. Yeah, around 80,
2: okay. Has the money, as, as the net worth grown and as, as you've grown this nest egg and the money, I mean, has, has, it, has it made you happier? Has it made you more confident or more fulfilled?
0: I mean, happier? or no, I think it's it's definitely like building towards retirement has made me really excited. I think that freedom has made me excited. It's not about the money for me. It's about the possibilities and, and excitement to think what's next. So I think that has made me satisfied. Um, the safety and the security, the way I grew up, definitely feels really good. Happy Money doesn't make me happy. I think what I do with the money hopefully makes me happy and being intentional with it. Um, But I I definitely feel proud and I definitely feel excited and I definitely feel, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for what's next. So, yeah, I think all those good things.
2: Yeah. Any big plans here in retirement, fun trips, big purchases, anything coming up?
0: Gosh, when when these vaccines are in our arms and the you know borders open this girl is is like I've got all kinds of trips planned so yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to travel again. Yeah. I've got yeah, like Airbnbs idea. tagged, I've got Southeast Asia plans sketched out, I've got all kinds of stuff going.
2: Well, what a great interview, Melissa. Thank you. So just in closing here, what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting off their journey, someone who's in their young 30s or maybe they're single and not married? I mean, couple it however you want, but what would be your advice or any last mistakes that you'd want to share to avoid against?
0: I mean, I guess the biggest thing I would just say is I I guess I would just say it's possible, right? Like, don't think it's impossible. It's possible. Um, and don't let limiting beliefs get in your way. And I, I guess the other thing I would just say is for the women out there and especially the single women or the women without partners, like you can do this. And I think women in particular hold them sp- themselves back in a lot of ways. So I just think we're, we're more capable than we think. We're more powerful than we think. And so I just think folks in general should just try and, 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 you know, that we're possible, we're, 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 we have more potential than we think we do. So put the money in the 401k, <laughs> definitely do that. Um, and, you know, and really, I think one of the things I think is figure out what interests you. Don't do real estate because I did real estate. If real estate doesn't interest you, if 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 index funds interest you, you find what interests you and do that. But it is possible. So, yeah, don't hold yourself back.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Again, everybody, that's Melissa net worth of $2 got our second million in the last four years here. So congratulations on your success and thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.